Everybody, this is Suzanne Williams. She's going to read from the scriptures this morning, and then I'm going to preach. I'm Dave. Good morning. This morning's reading is from Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating all that he had done. The word of the Lord. There we go. It fits Jeremy's ear now. Um, let me pray. Uh, sorry, that's an inside joke. If you haven't been here in a long time, uh, you used to be the congregational pastor here. I get to pastor in a different capacity uh, at Midtown, but let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into this, uh, this passage. Lord, thank you for your word. Um, I pray that uh, you would uh, speak what you want to speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, apply what you want to apply. I know how much you've deeply applied this to my own heart as I've studied this week, um, and pray that we would experience your presence in a unique way as we desperately need to, knowing that it's in your presence that uh, we're transformed into your likeness. So be present, uh, Lord, we trust and know that you are in your name. Amen. All right, so um, I pulled up the podium. I preached at Granny White earlier, and I pulled it up, and I called it a high-waisted podium. <laughs> you guys don't get that joke? Just kind of hide, hide everything here? Uh, no, we've been in Genesis 1. Sorry, bad joke. Uh, over the past few weeks... Uh, last four weeks, I believe, uh, which we've said this, Jeremy said this, that uh, this is a book written by Moses, and the introduction to the book of Genesis uh, is more poetic uh, and song-like and story-like uh, than scientific. It's written that way intentionally, poetic and song-like, uh, because it is reframing what Moses is trying to do for Israel at the time. It's reframing for the people of Israel, this is who God truly is. And this is how the world and everything that you know came to be. This is who God truly is, and this is how the world and all things came about. And I need to, I need to communicate that to you in this poem, in this song-like, in this story-like way, right? Because you have just endured 400-plus years of slavery in Egypt under the hand of Pharaoh, who was, by the way, worshiped as a god. You who have for 400 years been indoctrinated in a cultural narrative, right? A cultural storyline of polytheism, many gods, and worship of created things. I need to write something to you to teach you about who God truly is. Because this God, Yahweh, right, or Elohim in the, in the Hebrew, is utterly different than any concept of divinity that you've experienced or lived under in your entire lifetime and for many generations. He's utterly different than anything you know. And Moses understands this. Moses knows. Remember Bo knows? Anybody remember who Bo Jackson is? I date myself there. Like Bo, Moses knows Right? Until we know who God truly is, we cannot know who we truly are. Until we know who God is, I cannot know who I am, right? In the beginning, God, right, is how the book starts. 
not in the beginning man, which is, if I'm being honest, our functional cultural narrative of today, in the beginning me. And Moses is saying, no, 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 in the beginning God before man. If you don't know who, true, who, true, who, uh, who he truly is, you will not know who you truly are. You have to image God rightly first to see ourselves rightly and then live as those who are made in his image. Because all they had experienced up until this point was a tyrannical deity in Pharaoh. That was their storyline. That was all that they knew. And now they've been liberated at this point, right? The Exodus, they've been liberated, freed externally in a way, but maybe not freed from that narrative, freed from that storyline. And so a part of the work, a big part of the work of the book of Genesis is like, you remember when you do a hard reset on your computer, like control, was it control, alt, delete, like six buttons that span, you have to get your fingers way far apart to do it, right? This was a hard reset on the identity computer of the Israelites, on their storyline, because Moses understood something about us, about them. This is true about all of us, right? We all live by some storyline, some narrative that orients our lives and either gives our lives a sense of meaning, our lives a sense of purpose, or it robs our lives of a sense of meaning and robs our lives of a sense of purpose. And that storyline, that narrative is what orients how we live out the days of our lives. And so the storyline for the Israelites in Genesis is being rewrote with the one true God at the center, not Pharaoh. We said this when we preached through Exodus, that God was taking them out of Egypt. Yes, but he was also taking Egypt out of them. They needed both things, physically to be taken out of Egypt and then to have Egypt taken out of them because at this point, they were far more Egyptian than they were Israelite. And what did they do in Egypt? What did the Israelites do in Egypt? Made bricks. Yeah, they worked. They were slaves. That was their identity in Egypt. They worked like dogs. Unending, unceasing work. If you go back to Exodus 5, this is a time where Moses is trying to get some momentum to get them out of the place, right? And Pharaoh is coming down hard because he doesn't want the Israelites to go. And he says, they got to make the same amount of bricks that they're supposed to make every single day, but take away all the straw, Right? They're going to have to do the same amount of work and being hindered without having straw, so it's going to be tougher. The God of the day, Pharaoh, makes a hard job even harder. That was their relationship with a godlike figure in work. Work had no dignity, and work never ceased. And the God of the day, Pharaoh, demanded they do it for him. And so right here in Genesis 1, in the beginning... The God of Israel is being presented as one who works, right? Who creates, joyfully does that. Who does for his creation. And then, what Suzanne just read, rests from his work. And so, as those who are created in the image of God, remember that? That's what Jeremy preached on last week. To mirror him, to reflect him, we are unique in that way. As those created in his image to mirror mirror him, a picture is being painted, a different storyline, a new narrative, a new song to live by is being put into these people. 
that is entirely different from what they've experienced as those who knew nothing but unending grind. Work and rest. Moses in Genesis 1 and this little part of Genesis 2 is introducing them and indoctrinating them in the one true God who at the end of his creation song, this God who is limitless, who is all-powerful, who literally spoke creation into existence, he worked, he created, and then he chooses to rest. Now, all of this, what I just said, would be certainly being presented to an Israelite of the day, right? Would have presented a completely new concept and a new understanding of, of God to the original hearer. They would have been like, wait, what? But I believe this actually might be as practically challenging for a modern person like you and I as anything we've talked about thus far. That God chose to rest from his work. That he stopped, not slowed down, not did like a little micro tweak to one of his days and did a lot of the same stuff and then did this other thing called rest. He stopped completely. It was a different day. He ceased. He didn't slow down. And so therefore at the beginning of time, for those of us who are made in his image, he's saying, I've designed you and if you're gonna reflect me, if you're gonna live into that image, then this is a part of who you are. You are to stop. You are to rest. You are to cease. Now, when I talk to people, when I talk to myself, when I listen to myself, because I talk to myself and you talk to yourself more than anybody, here's what I hear most people answer when I ask, how are you doing? And here's what I say most. How are you doing? Man, I'm busy. Man, I'm tired. Busy and tired. The twin towers, right, of our world of effort. Busy and tired. Why is that? If we're made to image God and he created this thing called rest for us. So here are the three things we're gonna talk about if I can get to them. There's my clock. Why God stopped, why we can't seem to stop, and what makes rest possible, okay? Tall order in 25 minutes, but here we go. Why God stopped, why we can't seem to stop, and what makes rest possible. Why God stopped, number one. I believe this is it. And you want, might want to write this one down and think about it because it took me a long time to think about it this week. The only way you can ever choose to rest like God from your work, to cease, is if at the core of your being, at your soul level, you're already at rest before you ever chose to stop. I'll say that again. The only way you're ever going to choose rest like God from your work if you're going to stop and if you're going to cease, is if at the core of who you are, at the core of your being, at the soul level, you're already at rest before you chose to stop. Genesis 1 does not read like this. In the beginning, the triune God was restless and discontent and feeling anxious and insufficient within and of himself, slightly empty and therefore set out to do something in his creative work to fill the existential void that he was experiencing. <laughs> that is not how the Bible starts. No, Scripture teaches it was out of his fullness, 
out of his wholeness, out of his utter completeness as God that he worked and created, not out of any lack. This is really key, y'all. So for God, rest was a state, not a destination. He wasn't not at rest when he was creating the world. He wasn't doing it from a dis, you know, discontent, insufficient, empty place. For God, rest is an identity, and this is true for us, we'll get to this, it's an identity before it's a chosen activity. That's why he can simply choose to do it when he wanted to do it. God was able to stop, not simply because he finished, he did finish, he completed it, right? It says that, but not because he finished his activity. He wasn't like the GC of creation and he finally knocked out his punch list so he could take a day off. That's not what happened. He didn't rest because he finished his activity, but because of his identity as one who is at rest. Another way of saying it is this. It was possible for God to stop because what he was doing was an expression of his identity, not establishing it. I wasn't doing anything to get something. I was doing something to give something. So he made a choice. That's what he did here. He made a choice. God at rest, in and of himself, made a choice. I'm done. Why? We ask. The answer, because I'm done. Now think about that. Many of you have children and you give them that answer, right, to the why question. Why? Because I said, right? And oftentimes, at least if you're like me, you'll find yourself reasoning with your children about your why, right? Which reasoning is justifying what you just said. We don't hear any justification here. I don't have to give any justification. If you just observe that, there, you know, apart from Adam and Eve, there was no one to justify stopping in the eyes of everyone. He didn't ask if he could get their two likes in order to rest, right? He didn't have to check in with others. He just stopped. It was finished. It was enough for him. I wrote an artist friend of mine this week who's in Birmingham, and I asked her, I said, how do you know when a painting's finished? Like, when do you know when to stop? Here's what she said, which I can so relate to this, but it's so other than how the Lord works. She says this, so often I'm done when I know the client is happy. Oof. So someone else is the ticket to my rest. Their pleasure, right? It's been a while since I've been able to just paint for my pleasure, just to bring joy or spark of delight where you feel that sense of it's right, it's good. I have a really hard time walking away from painting. One of my former teachers said a good artist knows when to walk away. So many times I overwork a painting because of my insecurity or lack of internal rest. You hear it? I'm not at rest, so I can't stop overworking the painting. I don't know when to stop. Being an artist in a broken world where there are so many voices in your head, people to please, the inner critic, how fun to get to be like the Holy Trinity. This was so beautiful of her to say. How fun to get be, to be like the Holy Trinity, to not have all those extra things that are a part of being broken. And yet, Scripture says this about us. 
He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. We can participate in the divine nature. I can't stop until the client's happy. I can't stop overworking it because I don't have any internal rest. God made a choice to cease because he was finished. Creation for him was complete. It was enough. And we know this. Just think about this for a second. He could have continued. He could have overworked the painting of creation, right? A few more species, a few more color variants. But he was satisfied. It was finished in his eyes. And on day eight, right, the soft launch of Eden, as I like to call it, right, (laughs) there was no FOMO for God, right, on his day off, while Adam and Eve and creation carried on, you know, God did not helicopter parent in Eden, right, we just put our 16-year-old on the road on Friday for the first time, right, Gave him dominion and rule over the road, right? Creates a lot of internal restlessness. But that's not Lord, right? He's not helicopter parenting. He's not worried. If you remember the lyrics of the first six days, it kept saying there's morning and evening on the first day and on the second day, right? But there's no morning and evening in this account on day seven which is intentional because he's communicating that although God stopped working, the world he created, I'll say it this way, kept going in sinless, restful motion. That sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? Sinless, restful activity. Motion. And his rest, God's rest, continued. What he did here is is he set his creation in motion and his new sinless, at that point, image bearers in motion with purpose and with meaning. And he said, I'm ceasing. I'm resting. It's finished. Not because he was wiped out. He was not fatigued. Scripture said God doesn't need to sleep or slumber or anything like that. He doesn't need rest like you and I do. He wasn't working for the weekend. He didn't punch out and go to the cosmic lake house, right? Right? He stopped, he ceased. He, you could say it this way, created rest as a part of his creation. He said, I'm creating this too as a part of my created order. So if you are not doing this, you are doing violence against the way that I've made you. You were created to stop. I'm still present, I'm still sovereignly over, but I'm stepping back, I'm stopping, I'm ceasing, and that's what you need to do, to believe every week that you are not the center of the universe. Another part of the song that we see playing itself out in the first six days, remember he said he saw it and it was good, he saw it and it was good, and then he saw us created in his image, and he said it was very good. This has been the refrain of the poetic song every day of creation, but in this day, there is no refrain. He didn't say it was very good. He said something different. In fact, this day got a new designation that the other days didn't. Blessed. What does he say there? There's my passage. He said, then God on the seventh blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all his work of creating that he had done. Blessed. 
a word there, maybe in different versions, says blessed and made it holy. It's literally, I'm setting it apart. This is not like the other six days. I'm going to, and that word blessed connotates this as well, I'm going to in rest, take time to enjoy what it is that I've created, revel in it, meditate on it, satisfy it, savor it, smell it, love it. And therefore, you who I've made in my image, I'm patterning something here. I'm creating for you and in you this pattern of you are designed every seven days to stop and to acknowledge and celebrate who? God as the creator and the giver of life. That is why worship is so vital. You can relax. You're doing it right now. The fact that you came here this morning is, is you're stopping and you're pausing and you're allowing the word and these songs and everything that we're doing to remind ourselves of who God is, to celebrate and acknowledge what he's done for us. We are a part of that creation. That's part of what stopping does. I'm gonna celebrate and worship the God of my life who's given me like access, life and breath and everything else. So we stop, why? To be reminded first of God's identity. And when I'm reminded of God's identity, then I can be reminded of my identity. And then I can go get active again out of that place, out of a place of rest. He blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. This day is going to be unique. It's going to be other. And why again can God stop? I can cease. I can stop. Because I don't need what I've done to give me life. To allow me to rest. Yes, I ceased from my creative work, but I never worked from that restless place of need. From an insecure place, from a place of lack. I don't create work to get. I give that's who I am, and therefore, that's why I can rest. So that's God's why. That's why he can stop. Let's talk about why we can't. Everybody's like, please make this sermon stop. <laughs> nah, this is good. Good, right? So why can't we choose to stop? If God chooses to stop, why can't we? If we're made in his image, right? Why can't I do it? So there's a lot of directions I could take this point, but here's what I want to say. Yes, we live in a broken world, and Satan is constantly, you do have an adversary at this, he is constantly um, coming into God's order and creating chaos through sin. But sin is really what I want to talk about, and I really want to talk about our sin, right? It's easy to talk about all the other things outside of me that keep me from doing this. Let's talk about some of the stuff that we actually have cho like choice over, all right? And here's why, why we can't seem to stop, and it may seem oversimplified, but I would encourage you, stop long enough to discover that most of what keeps you from stopping, if you pull it up by the roots, what you'll find is some form of sin. Sin, which we'll get to in Genesis 3, didn't just break our relationship with work, our activity, right? Before it broke our relationship with work, it first broke our relationships with ourselves and with God. The order matters. Therefore, if I'm ever going to image God and cease and stop and rest from my work, that's always going to start not by looking at my relationship to work, 
but my relationship to God and to myself. If I have a ceasing from work problem, that's not a work problem. That's a relationship with God and with myself problem. It's part of why, if you're like me, and you probably are on some level, when we actually cease from one form of work, we swap it out from another, right? I just kind of trade one form of work for another form of work, trying and hoping that that's going to give me the rest that I know only comes from my relationship with the Lord. And here's what I think, you know, if you want to debate me on this, we can talk after the sermon. Here's what I think is at the root of my inability to stop doing that work swap where I'm working, 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 and then I just come over here and I work, work, work over here, and it's this. The work we never cease from as fallen human beings is this, the work of maintaining our image. I dare you to study your inability to rest and and come to a different conclusion. That the work that we never cease from, whether that's in our work work, like our jobs, our occupations, right? The success we crave, the money that we're chasing, whether that's at our home and the kind of homes that we want, right? Whether that's the work as parents and the kind of parenting that we want to do and the kind of kids that we want to produce, whether that's the beauty, right, that we're all working for and that I'm losing the battle with, right? Status, power, it's all about working to maintain some kind of image. Because since the fall, we have been searching for image security that can only come from the Lord. The rest that leads to image security that can only come from the Lord. That's why the psalmist says it like this in Psalm 62, truly my soul finds rest in God alone. My soul finds rest in God alone. That's a fact, that's not a feeling. He's not emoting right there. If we are made in his image, we will only find true soul-level rest in the relationship with him who worked from a place of rest and then rested from his work. My soul truly only finds rest in God alone. So rest, right, begins with God rightly at the center of our lives. It's him alone. It's the only place my soul can rest. And what does sin do? Sin has been doing this since the fall. Sin takes and puts something else other than Jesus at the center of our lives. Usually something good, like relationships, like your work, like your kids, like money, which is fine. It puts something too small at the center and then says, if you have enough of that, your soul can rest. No, it can't. Sin puts something else at the center, hence we have no rest. So until you and I are resting in the love of Jesus, which means finally loving myself for the right reasons, because I love myself for all the wrong reasons, right? I believe God sometimes loves me because of how I'm performing, because I'm getting the punch list of my goodness done. That is not why he loves you. Because I've earned his favor, I've proved that I deserve his love, that is not why he loves you. Reasons I love me is because I compare myself to all of you and I stack up and I'm better than you and that's why I can rest, right? 
No. Until we're resting in the love of Jesus, I can't leave my work in its right place because I'm trying to get it to do something for me that it can't do. You see, our soul, or if you want to use a more modern word, our identity, or a more psychological word, our ego, is like our body. It needs oxygen. It needs breath all the time. So I'm either inhaling on the reg, right, the finished love and finished work and favor of God, or I am literally secondhand smoking something else trying to get that to give me the rest that only God can give me. And I'm asphyxiating. I'm busy and I'm tired. This is what sin does. Because sin is ultimately what? It's deceitful. Sin twists where we ultimately seek the words. The image confirming, the image securing words that you and I need to rest and to work rightly because we needed something that God doesn't. We needed an outside word, a blessing and a verdict in order to rest. We're made, made for that, right? Like when someone gives you a compliment, right, or says you did really well, don't you just kind of get that little hit of like, huh, right? But then what? It goes away, Right? We need an outside word, a blessing and a verdict in order to rest. God doesn't. And humanity had already gotten that very good, remember? The very good designation as image bearers before they ever did anything. Before they ever put the, whatever tool they used back in the garden, the, you know, the Eden hoe into the ground, right? And started to work. They had already gotten the very good. But our ability to remain in that word from the Lord as image bearers has been shattered by sin. That's what sin did. It destroyed. It didn't completely lose, but it, it tainted every aspect of creation, us included, where the image of God was destroyed. And so since that time, you and I have been looking for that very good from somewhere, from something that will finally allow us to go, I can rest. Madonna, yeah, she didn't know when to stop. Um, sorry, I won't go down that uh, rabbit trail. Uh, Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, wonderful little book. If you want to read it, I would strongly encourage it. She talks about this, about her inability to rest. It says this, my drive in life comes from the fear of being mediocre. So is mediocre very good? No, yeah. I'm, I'm afraid that I won't get that very good designation. That's always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. I got the very good. But then I feel I am still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. No rest. Because even though I have already become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. What's she saying? 
She's saying why we can't stop. Keller says Madonna knows herself better than we do. At least she's honest about it. I'm, I'm, I accomplished the very good, and then as soon as I grabbed a hold of it, it spinned away. Why? Because the very good we were designed to hear wasn't from one another. It wasn't from our work. It was from our Father. That's why we can't seem to stop. Because like Madonna, if I don't hear the very good of God first before I work, then no very good of any other created thing or work my hands can do will allow me to rest. I've got to hear it from him. It's the last thing. Three minutes, here we go. What makes it possible? What makes it possible for you and I to choose rest? If sin breaks our capacity to rest as God rests, to enter into his rest, like Hebrews 4 talks about, then I'll say this really simply, repentance is the way back. That's it. Repentance is the way back. It's the path back. Isaiah 53 says this, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. He was confronting God's people today and saying, you need to repent and enter into rest. That's where you experience the saving God, resting in God's sovereignty and his strength and his ability. Luther said this, all of life is repentance. So what we do here on Sunday mornings, that's part of what we do. We repent and we return to God, right? But if you're like me, Sunday morning ain't a big enough hit to do it because by two hours from now, I will go out there and I will be back on the image junkie train trying to get the very good just this afternoon, let alone throughout the work week. So here's how it works for me. I, I'm, I'm going to give you a, an invitation, maybe a bit of a challenge. Uh, take me up on it. Here's how it works. Because um, repentance is not something we like to do. It bucks against our pride, right? But you have to start small and make a choice to stop, right? Because God commands you to do it, all right? I believe this is why God constituted the Sabbath as a requirement for his people in the Mosaic Law and the Ten Commandments given on Sinai, right? I've got to require you to stop, to cease to rest for a day because in and of yourself, you won't do it. Now, you aren't going to be able to just start doing this for an entire day. Just trust me. That's like trying to eat, you know, the giant sub. You're going to have a tummy ache, right? But I've got to require you to do that because in sin, in and of yourself, you won't. But I'm not requiring you to do this as some law to keep in order to show to me that you love me. It's the exact opposite. God did not make the Sabbath for himself. He made it for us. I'm giving you this stop so that you can experience my love for you as my creation right? Stop and let me love you. I feel like I've heard Jeremy say it like that. Slow down enough so you can hear my very good verdict instead of staying busy believing that you could earn it elsewhere. So here are my two stop points, the toilet and my truck. Told you, going to get real practical. You spend a decent amount of time on the toilet, some of us more than others, right? And you spend a ton of time, at least some time, in your car, right? <clears throat> my toilet and my truck, I don't do this perfectly, but those are my temples. Most of you bring this to the toilet, 
no, don't, uh. Everybody's like, I don't. I'm like, sure you don't. <laughs> and in your vehicle, you're either listening to something, you're on Bluetooth, you're talking, you're doing work. If you just take those two things practically and say, these are the places plus Sunday morning, you know, maybe give yourself a challenge. Come to church every Sunday for three straight months. See what it does for your life. Ooh, you know? Maybe the rest you're looking for, at, you know, out there isn't out there. Maybe it's in here. So worship, toilet, truck, right? Because if you stop, just even in those parts of your day, if you stop and truly cease, and I'm not talking about filling a day with other enjoyable recreations, streaming a day away with distractions, but a day, a moment on the toilet, in your truck, whatever, where you practice gratitude for what is and don't try to add to it through your own efforts. If you choose to do that, it's going to make you feel like you're going crazy because what's going to come to the surface is this. This is insanely hard for the accomplishment junkies that we all are. I don't know how to stop. I have been trained, culturally trained, like Pharaoh trained the Egyptians and the Israelites in Egypt. I've been trained in this. We don't stop. We grind, right? No days off. I won the Super Bowl and I'm back in the gym. It's insanely hard for the accomplishment junkies that we are. If you do this, you will experience anxiety. It doesn't mean something's wrong. It means something's right. You will get angry. That means something's right. You will feel anxious. We all have spiritual ADD. That means something's right because those feelings are bumping into our idols. They're digging our idols up and showing us what we rest in. Just another little quick, oh, how many likes did I get for that post? And if we go, we push through that little bit of feeling, that anger, that angst, that anxiety, and say, wait a sec, those aren't bad feelings, those are good feelings because God's kindness leads us to repentance is what Romans says. Oh yeah, okay, thank you. Thank you for showing me that. And repentance is what? It's the work of returning, returning to rest in the right things. Those things, probably the things that I'm doing, they're not bad things. They're just things out of order in my life. They've gotten into the God alone spot and said, you know, in my work, my soul will find rest alone. No, it won't. Repentance is returning to rest in the right things, in God's finished work, not ours. And on this side of the cross, Jesus' finished work for you and for me, the identity that we have in him, that First Peter talks about, you are chosen. You are holy. You're set apart. You are dearly loved. You are God's treasured possession. That's who you are. You hear it? You got the very good. I'm the only one who can say it to you that will let your hearts rest. We get to hear when we stop, when we choose to stop, we get to hear the very good of our image-bearing birthright once again. And it sets us free to go back to work and go back to all these other things, not to get something, but to give something because we are at rest, not working to be allowed to. Let me pray for us. Lord, 
<clears throat> you, challenged, uh, you challenged the readers of Hebrews uh, if, today, if we hear your voice, uh, to not harden our hearts. And Lord, uh, you knew that their hearts would be hard against this because we don't want to enter your rest. I love resting in my performance. I love resting in my beauty. I love resting in my better than. And yet, like Madonna, I'm as fragile. I don't know how to stop overworking. Um, and I need you to come in and stop me. And Lord, would you give us the grace to stop so that we can hear the very good verdict that most of our days are anxiously spent running after. Would we hear what your word says, come to me, all you who are weary and who are burdened, and I will give you rest. It's something you have to give us, Lord. May we receive it. You invite us to take your yoke upon you, your light yoke, a yoke, a work of, an instrument of work. <laughs> Because what? You're gentle and humble in heart and we'll find rest from your souls. May we learn from you what it means to rest. Draw us near to yourself in your name. Amen.